We come once again this evening to the wonderful book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. We'll be looking at the entirety of this chapter. The chapter itself breaks down really into two sections, two events or stories going on that both revolve around a single man, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative, and the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer. For he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone." Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. 
You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord, our God, we ask this evening that you would open up your word, that you would teach it to us, that by your grace we would learn more of who you are, how you govern your people, and how you bless your people with your grace. We ask this evening that as we look into your word, we would see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And that we would know all of the blessed work that he has done on our behalf. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why God uses people in the church? Why God uses people in evangelism. It seems awfully inefficient. God could speak directly to people. Or he could speak through angels who are perfect in all their ways. And the same thing could be said about the Bible. The Bible is a big book, but it is not the biggest of books. Why doesn't God make the Bible bigger? Why doesn't he put every detail that we could possibly need... In the scriptures, could you imagine if God had included in the Bible every possible permutation of every problem that could occur in marriage? Then counseling would be easy. You would just look up your situation, see God's direct word, and apply it. But that's not what God does. He doesn't give us every detail of every aspect of our lives. He gives us the general contours of his law, the general parameters of the way in which he governs his people. And he expects his people, by his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, to apply what he has given to their lives. And sometimes, God gives gifts to his people to aid them in this endeavor. We're looking at one of them this evening. In chapter 18, we see the story of Jethro, who comes onto the scene seemingly from nowhere, although he's in the background of the beginning of Exodus, 
at least as the father of Moses' wife. And then just as quickly at the end of the chapter, he is gone, not really to return again. This, of course, causes no level of consternation among critics of the Bible. They are certain that Exodus 18 is not something that is genuine. It's in, interpreted, it's inserted later because it doesn't fit with what they think God should be telling his people. But I think for us this evening, it is a wonderful message of God's grace, of how God provides for his people in marvelous ways. And so I'd like us to look at this text and see God's grace to his people. Let's begin then by looking at the first section of this chapter, the first 12 verses, and we see the transforming grace of God. Now there is a testimony of God's grace that we see here. It begins in verse 1. There is a context for this testimony. Moses is telling Jethro about what God has done, but there is a context. There is already a relationship between Moses and Jethro. And if you missed it the first time in this chapter, don't worry about it. God repeats it 12 more times that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. There is no way that you can miss the relationship. Even as I read it, I was struck by the repetition. There is a relationship that already exists between Moses and Jethro. And that reminds us that Moses had already testified to God's goodness and grace to Jethro previously. Jethro's daughter Zipporah would have known what lengths Moses would have gone to to serve God. He left her and his sons behind to go to Egypt, to go to confront Pharaoh, because God had commanded him to do so. Moses was willing to serve the living God. And this is something that Jethro knew. And if somehow Jethro would have missed that, all he would have had to do was speak to his grandsons. Because his grandsons' names speak of the grace of God to Moses. And so, this is Jethro coming to Moses to give some assistance, to help. Let me ask you a question. When you need help doing something, how do you choose someone to help you? Do you choose someone who knows you, who knows what you need, who knows what your shortcomings are, who has been around you? Or do you choose a complete stranger? I think for most of us, it's the former. We seek out someone who knows us, who knows what we need, who knows our frame. And so Jethro here comes to Moses, and I am struck in verse 7 by the respect that Moses shows to Jethro. Now let me remind you who Moses is. He is the mediator between God and Israel. He is the one who saw the burning bush. He is the one who confronted Pharaoh and defeated him with the rod of God and the plagues. He is the one who is leading the people of Israel out into the wilderness. A people a million strong. And Moses goes out to meet Jethro. He takes the lesser position. He shows respect. I think as you look at this, you should be corrected if at any time you think 
Well, I'm too important to do that. They need to wait on me. They need to come to me. I hate to tell you, but I don't think you're as great as Moses. I don't think Cecil B. DeMille is going to make a movie about your life. You haven't written five books of the Bible. And yet here we have Moses going out to Jethro. This is clearly in this day and age. This is a sign of respect and even of subordination. Now, why does Moses do this? I think this is another example to us of how to do ministry from Moses. <coughs> Moses does not let ministry get in the way of people. Have you noticed that that can sometimes occur to us? We get so busy with ministry, people are in the way. And we tell them, go off to the side there. No, we don't have time for you now. We've got important ministry to do. When in reality, ministry is about people. And that's what Moses does here. Moses could have come up with a list 30, 40-fold long of all the things he had been doing and has to do. Shortly, Jethro is going to see how busy Moses is. And yet Moses does not let the ministry that God has placed in his hand get in the way of the relationships he has with those who are close to him. Now, this is an important reminder to you and to me. We cannot cast aside politeness, respect, and love for the sake of ministry. If we do, we're not doing real ministry. This is not something that we should be engaged in. So Jethro comes to meet Moses, and the reason why Jethro comes, we may not know where exactly he comes from, but we know why he comes. He comes because God has brought news to Jethro. God has told Jethro of the redemptive acts that he has done. And I want you to notice here that God has put his redemptive acts in a context that Jethro can immediately understand. Look at verse 1. Jethro had heard all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people. So it's not just that God is acting on a large stage. Jethro knows what God has done, and he, he knows specifically what he's done for his family. Because Jethro is invested in Moses and in uh, Zipporah. They are his children. They are his family. And he hears what God has done. And the redemptive acts of God are like that. They're always personal. You know, oftentimes we hear from this pulpit, pray for revival in America. And I hope you pray for revival. But do you know that when you pray for that, that's not just about America. That's not just generically about 300-something million people. That's about you, your family, your children, your friends, your co-workers. If God brings revival to America, he brings revival to you. It's personal. His redemptive acts always are personal. And so Jethro has heard of the good news that God has done freeing Israel. But 
He's also heard Moses' testimony about God. That precedes this. We, we spoke briefly previously about the names that Moses had given his sons. And they are a testimony to the work of God in his life. His first son's name is, I have been a sojourner in a strange land. Every time he called him, Gershom, come for dinner. Gershom, pick that up. He was testifying that he was a sojourner in a strange land. He was testifying to the bondage of his people and how he had fled Egypt and was in a strange land that was not his home. And then his second son, Eleazar, the God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And so my God is my help, is what his second son's name was. And so not only is he a stranger in a strange land, but he is provided for in that strange land by God. So Jethro had to know about the Lord our God. And now Moses testifies about God's redemption specifically. Now Jethro had heard about this, but Moses presses the point home in verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Now, do you notice something about this testimony? You know, there's a way to say something, and then there's a way to say something. And I think often when we speak of God's redemptive acts, we speak like this. Can you believe all that God has done for me? But that's not what Moses says. He says, can you believe what God has done for me? All the emphasis here is on God. It's on the Lord. The focus is on the Lord. And the wonder of what God has done. How he has defeated Pharaoh. And the mercy that God has provided. That he did this for Israel's sake. And then Moses does something that I think, again, we can take a cue from. He does not shy away from recounting the troubles that they experienced along the way. He talks about all of the hardship they had. Now, do we often at times try to stretch the truth? To try to make the ninth commandment a little bit rubberized? to pull it without breaking it, to try to speak of what's occurred to us that makes us look in the best light, that downplays the difficulties we've had. I think especially we do this when we witness to others. We think that we have to tell others that following Jesus is a rosy life, that everything is perfect, that there's no bumps in the road. Look at what God has done for us. And that, my friends, is exactly a false gospel that we see in 21st century America that God will get, make you wealthy, that he will make you healthy, that everything will be perfect if you just believe in Jesus. But that's not how life works, is it? You see, we know that when we come to Jesus, husbands and wives still fight. Children still disobey. We still sin. Hardships still come our way. Unemployment rears its ugly head. Storms come our way. Things break down in our homes. Life is not perfect when we come to Jesus. 
it's important to acknowledge that. But you will also notice that while Moses acknowledges that, he does it to give God even more glory because he says, all of the hardships we went through and God delivered us. So you see, by speaking of his troubles and the difficulties, he actually gives God more glory. Then next we see the transcultural reach of God's grace. You see, the knowledge of God cannot be contained. It is something that goes out over all the earth. Now, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He is the priest of Midian, we are told. And I have to admit that I think in all of the Bible, the only place where Midian is spoken well of is with Jethro. To be blunt, the Midianites are pretty horrible people. The first time that we see them is in Genesis 37, in which they buy Joseph from his brothers and sell him to the Egyptians. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. We often emphasize how bad Moses's, or excuse me, Joseph's brothers were, but can you imagine slavers who are buying someone to make money off them, knowing that his brothers are selling them? And we know this because the scripture tells us that they, his brothers did not heed Joseph's cries as he was being taken away. So Joseph is yelling, why are you doing this? You're my brothers. Why are you selling me into slavery? And all the Midianites are thinking is, well, this will fetch some good silver. Let's take him a good distance away, like to Egypt, where we can sell him anonymously and make a quick buck. In Numbers Chapter 22, the Midianites are in league with Balak, the king who sought to destroy Israel. And in Numbers 27, we see that intermarriage between Israelites and Midianites is forbidden as an intermarriage couple is punished. Gideon fights them in battle in Judges 6 and 7. So the Midianites are not a people whom you would expect to respond to God. But God's reach is broader than Israel. That's what we're seeing here. There is no Old Testament, New Testament dichotomy that only Israel follows the Lord in the Old Testament. This is one of the examples of God's grace being missional, going out beyond Israel, salvation coming to the Midianites. And the salvation of God cannot be contained among the people of Israel. And we see this as Jethro rejoices. What's the reason for his rejoicing? Look with me at verse 9. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The reason for his rejoicing is God's mercy. It is a sign of Jethro's salvation. He is rejoicing. This is the same word that is used in Psalm 21 to say that the one who rejoices is blessed forever. It's a sign that Jethro has been reached beyond the family unit. He's been reached by God. And we see this explicitly in verse 10, where Jethro says, blessed be the Lord. Now, I hope that in your Bibles, in verse 10, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the covenant name of God. Yahweh, Jehovah. It is the name for God that God has taken to himself. 
it is a sign of being in covenant with God. In other places, we see others like Jethro speaking about God or God Almighty. But they don't use the covenant name of God. And Jethro has been struck by who God is and what he has done. And so in verse 11, he uses this language that occurs throughout Exodus. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Do you remember over and over again in each of the plagues, Moses said the reason for the plague, Pharaoh, was so that you would know that the Lord is God. Jethro says, I know this now. I didn't even have to have a plague come to me. I didn't even have to see a plague. All I had to do was hear about a plague and the power of God, and now I know that the Lord is God. And so God's kingdom now expands. The people of God expands beyond Israel. Do we expect God to be glorified? If we do, then that means we must expect Grace to be shown to people who are unlike us. Is that your hope and your prayer tonight? That transforming grace would come to a world out there, to people who are not like us, who are not here this evening, but who would be touched by the grace of God and changed forever, redeemed by God's grace. The second thing we see is God's guiding grace. It is a daily grace that God gives to his people. You see, the people of God need the word of God. Moses knows that. That's why he's here. Look at verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Moses knows each and every day they need the grace of God. They need the word of God. I can't help but think of that great hymn, I need thee every hour. Moses knows this. Now you can just imagine this in your mind's eye. Perhaps you can think about instances after a hurricane. When people are lined up down the street, around the block to get help from the Red Cross. Or even now in our current circumstances, the long, lengthy lines to be tested for the coronavirus. Or in better times, in previous Black Fridays, as people line up around stores and wrap around and wrap around to get in to get a deal. You could just imagine the pressure here for Moses as the people throng to him because they need the grace of God. They're coming not just today, they're coming Every day. And this is not just a curiosity. It's not that they're coming to quiz Moses. Let's see if we can stump Moses today. Let's ask him a question about Abraham's wife. No. They are coming because they have real problems. They have real needs. Now, you know what this means. Life for them is not perfect after the Red Sea. I know that may come as a shock to you. But this principle applies to you and to me as well. If you don't realize this, after you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, I hate to tell you, but your life will not be perfect. You will still have problems. You will still have conflict. And that's what is playing out for us here this evening. 
And so Moses does not let anything prevent him from serving the people of God. Now, verse 13 is instructive in more ways than one. It says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. Now, let me just ask a question. Have you ever had an instance in which family have come from out of town for the first time in a very long time, and they come to visit you? Do you get up the next day and go to work? Or, or let's put it even more pointedly. Let's say you haven't seen your children in a long time. And they come with your wife. Is your first thought, well, I've got to get up early and make it to the office. You see, Moses goes immediately to serving the people of God. He won't let his own needs stand in the way. And Jethro actually warns him about the toll that this will take upon him day upon day upon day. You see, this is early in Moses' experience as leading the people of God. He has not been doing this for years. Could you imagine if Moses did this every day for the 40 years they were in the wilderness? I think Joshua would have succeeded him a bit earlier because I don't think Moses would have made it. Remember, too, that Moses doesn't let the resentment get in the way of serving the people of God. I sometimes think, unsanctifiedly, that if I were Moses, I would tell the people, fix these problems yourselves. You were so busy complaining about the way I led you to the Red Sea, complaining about the water at Merah, complaining about the food you got, complaining at Rephidim. Why don't you all take care of it? You're so brilliant. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't let bitterness or resentment get in the way. Day upon day, God brings his grace to his people through Moses. And it is a necessary grace. Because contention still exists among the people. And this is not just that there needed to be judging done among the people, but we see how numerous the disputes are. They take Moses all day, from morning to evening, to judge. It's not as if there's only a couple of people that are having problems. No. Day upon day, all day, Israel has difficulties. And that's because the need for the knowledge of God still exists among God's people. The Israelites are free, but they still carry their old habits. They still carry sin. And this is true of you and of me as well. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we still have old habits of sin that need to be mortified. We still need the knowledge of God. We actually need the knowledge that God brings more than ever to live the Christian life. It's not as if we can say to ourselves, well, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. I'm all set. The wise Christian says, I need to read my Bible more than ever. I need to pray more than ever because now I know how much I don't know. Now I know how much I need the Lord. The third and final thing that we see is a practical grace that God brings. We see this in verses 17 through 27. Now this is something that God does in the midst of everyday life. You will notice that Jethro comes in what seems to be an interlude. There's no battle with Amalek. There's no need for water. There's no need for food. Israel is just basically 
doing everyday things. And so Jethro comes in the midst of everyday life and he wants to show Moses a better way. But I want you to understand that this is not just Jethro at work here. This is God at work. You see, God wants to show Moses that he has grace even for Moses. Sometimes I think as we lead, as we lead our families, as we lead in our jobs, as we lead in the church, we tend to think that God brings his grace for others because they need it. But we've got it together. We know what we're doing. And this is a good reminder to us that, again, no matter how high up in the order we go, you don't get any higher than Moses. We still need God's grace each and every day. And so what God does is what he always does. To help Moses, to help his people, he transforms Jethro. He makes him a follower of the living God. And he sends him to Moses to be a missionary of grace. You see, life doesn't stop for us. We don't have time just for contemplation. Life continues to come at us, and we can indeed grow weary in doing well. Paul warned us against that at the end of the book of Galatians. And so God's grace is not only transforming, it's not only guiding, it is practical for each and every day. And so in the midst of his people, God shows his grace. He tells Moses that you are indeed to teach my people, but you are to get help in doing this. You are to apply wisdom. And so this principle that Jethro brings is not a commandment from the Lord. It's not written down in the Bible. Again, as we talked about earlier, the Bible could be full of all sorts of details, but it's not. But Jethro is applying a biblical principle as to how Moses should minister to his people. This principle is so important. It is the guiding principle for how the church today is governed. It is the foundation of our legal system as well. That the best knowledge of a given case is at the local level, at the lowest level. But yet, local judges or magistrates may err, and so there is an a provision for an appeal that Jethro builds in. So these captains, if you will, of tens, of fifties, of hundreds, of thousands, do not have unfettered authority. They're not dictators. They are linked together in the leadership of God's people. And this is the principle that we see in the eldership of the church. You may not know it because you may not be as much of a book of church order aficionado as I try to be. But every iteration of the book of church order refers to Exodus 18 as a foundational principle of church government. So in a very real sense, God is using Jethro not just to help Moses, but he's using Jethro to help you, to help me, to help our church. To lead in a way that is wise, but also follows the word of the Lord. This grace shows us that God is present 
in the midst of his people. God is here working through Jethro. It's not just Jethro here. God is at work. And in the same way, God is at work in the church, both here in Katy and throughout the world. It is not up to God's people to figure everything out, to muddle their way through. God is at work in our midst. So let me leave you with two final brief thoughts. First, thank God for His grace. Do you do that each and every day? Not just for the magnificent salvific grace that He has given to you because you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you thank Him for all of the little things that He gives to you each and every day? Opportunities to share your faith. Encouragement from your brothers and sisters. God is at work every day in ways so often that we do not even perceive or seek to find out. Thank God for His grace. And then secondly, keep your ears open to listen to God. God doesn't just speak to you through His Word. He speaks to you through His providence, through the people that He puts around you. It just may be that God has a Jethro for you to bring you help, to show you His goodness, to shower His grace upon you. Let's pray.